0: Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 27 will be our sermon text for this morning. Uh, If you've been with us for a while, you may be noticing we skipped a lot between Genesis 20 and Exodus 18, Uh, and that's because uh, this morning for the ordination service, I'm, I'm preaching on a text that talks about... Uh, the the giving of leaders to God's people. So we're taking a pause in the Genesis series. We will come back, I promise, although it may seem like we're not going to because it's going to be a little while, but we will come back to Genesis, I promise you. But this morning, Exodus chapter 18, before we read uh, this text, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word We thank you uh, that uh, you, by your word, you you do plant it deep in us to shape and fashion us after the image of your son. And we pray that you would be doing that this morning, that you would take your word, uh, that you would work it deeply in our hearts, that you would conform us to the image of Jesus by the power of your spirit working with your word, uh, that you would comfort us by the gospel, encourage us by the gospel, and teach us. Uh, teach us as we as we think about leadership in the church Uh, we pray that you would help us to think about this in a way that uh, is biblical and glorifies you Uh, father bless our our time together this morning as we open the scriptures we pray these things in jesus name Amen. amen all right exodus 18 beginning in verse 13 the next day moses sat down to judge the people and the people stood around, well, stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times." Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands of hundreds of fifties and of tens, And they judged the people at all times. Any hard cases they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. I am fascinated by those places where God meets with us. Uh, Those places where heaven meets earth, where spiritual realities break into the mundane. I love to study things like worship and the sacraments and, of course, the gospel and the application of scripture and church government. Church government may not seem like a spiritual thing, but it is. God is not absent from his church. Jesus hasn't left the church in my hands, you can be thankful for that, or the elders' hands, or the deacons' hands. Jesus is the one who runs his church. The question is, how does he do that? Jesus came to build his church, he said in Matthew 16, 18. And he bought the church with his own blood, according to Acts 20, 28, and 1 Peter 1, 18-19. And so the church is his redeemed people, his bride, his flock. How does Jesus now run the church? And the answer is by his spirit through under shepherds. Now that phrase, under shepherds, isn't in the Bible, but in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock of God as they anticipate the appearance Of the chief shepherd. Now, if Jesus is the chief shepherd, that means other church leaders are under shepherds. Under shepherds aren't perfect, we are flawed and sinful and ignorant, but by God's grace, we are used by Jesus to shepherd and care for his church. Now this morning we're going to uh, ordain and install certain men to the roles of elder and offices of elder and deacon. And so I want us to step back for a moment and think about leadership in the church. And if this is your first time at All Souls, I should say we don't always talk about church polity. And I would encourage you to, to come back on a more normal Sunday if there is such a thing. Uh, But hopefully, you too will get excited this morning about the way Jesus shepherds His people. And I do think this is important. Uh, We want to be transparent about how we do church government, particularly about how we choose and appoint leaders in the church. Particularly, demonstrating that we that what we do, how we function as a church, is grounded in the Scriptures. Uh, Now. I've actually preached, I think, five, at least five different sermons in in the past on other aspects of church leadership, on the roles of elders and deacons. You can find those on the web if you're interested in hearing more about church polity. I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, But this morning, we're going to focus on just one aspect of that. Whenever church leaders are mentioned in the New Testament, it is always in the plural. Uh, There are elders, plural, and deacons, plural. Uh, And and this morning, we are going to look at Exodus chapter 18 and see the necessity, the means, and the role of this plurality of leadership. We'll answer the questions, why do we need a plurality of leadership? How do we get a plurality of leadership? And what does this plurality of leaders do? The necessity, the means, and the role of leadership the plurality of leadership in the church. And we're going to see that by looking primarily at Exodus chapter 18. And we'll look at a few other passages along the way, Deuteronomy 1 and Acts 6, uh, both of which we were read earlier by Scott. But our main focus will be Exodus 18, 13 to 27. And, and, and yet before we dive into Exodus 18 to think about church leadership, uh, we need to ask the question, Okay, how do we get from Moses and Israel in Exodus 18 to the church today in 21st century America? How can I take this text about uh, Israel in the wilderness and apply it to us today? Uh, When we look at Exodus 18, we will see in a moment that Israel needed leaders. The assembled people of God, uh, which is what the word church means, by the way. It just means assembly. The assembled people of God, the assembly or church in the wilderness, needed leaders. And they have this need, so Moses appoints some. That's the, the short of it. We'll look at the details in a moment. And yet, as we move through the story of the Old Testament, if you follow the story from then on out, what we find is Israel needs something more. Uh, the, the, in, in the book of Judges, we read that there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Their, their lack of a king or godly leadership to lead and guide them led to rampant autonomy and immorality in Israel. Eventually, Israel does get a king. If you know the story, the only problem is when the king is good, they lead Israel in righteousness, but when the king is bad, they lead Israel into sin. So you have the problem uh, sometimes of no leaders or not enough leaders, and other times of bad leaders. The prophets, the priests, the elders, and kings of Israel are all called out at various times for failing to lead or shepherd Israel well. So in Ezekiel 34, God calls out the shepherds of Israel. He promises to judge the shepherds who have fed on the sheep rather than feeding the sheep. And God promises there in Ezekiel that he himself will come and shepherd his people. Uh, in uh, Ezekiel 34, 11 to 12, God says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered so will i seek out my sheep and i will rescue them but not only would god shepherd them himself he would set over them a shepherd so uh, later on in ezekiel 34:23 god says and i will set up over them one shepherd my servant david and he shall feed them he shall feed them and be their shepherd When does God fulfill this promise to shepherd his people, to send David to shepherd his people? Uh, The answer is when Jesus came as the son of God and son of David to be the good shepherd to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is the good shepherd who comes to seek and save his lost sheep. But if we keep reading in the Old Testament, there's more to the promise than that. In Jeremiah, God promises not one but many shepherds. Jeremiah 3.15 says, and I will give you shepherds, plural, after my own heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. God promises to come and shepherd his people himself and to send David as the shepherd of his people. That's all fulfilled in the person of Jesus who comes as the son of God, the son of David. But he also promises shepherds, plural, who will care for God's church. How does that happen? Well, Jesus, the son of David and son of God, pours out his spirit on his people, and then he calls some of those people to shepherd his church. That's what we see in passages in the New Testament, like 1 Peter 5 and 1 Timothy 3 and Acts 20 and many more passages. Jesus shepherds his church through under shepherds, through pastors and elders and deacons. What we find as we read through the scriptures is that the reasons for which and the way in which and the role to which God sets up under shepherds is incredibly consistent from Old Testament to New. God's reasons and purposes for under shepherds are the same in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy as they are in Acts and 1 Timothy and 1 Peter. And so this morning from Exodus 18, we will see this necessity, means, and role of the plurality of leaders in the Old Testament, in Israel, and in New Testament Israel, in the church. And so first, first, the reasons which God sets up under shepherds. Why do we need a plurality of leaders? There are two extremes when it comes to who governs the church. On the one hand, you can have one guy, an example would be the literal pope, But the truth is, you have all kinds of, quote, popes in all kinds of churches, right? There there are lots of churches where one pastor rules the day, uh, where no one speaks against him, either for love or for fear. In many churches, one man becomes the dictator, and no one can say anything about it. On the other hand, you you have churches where there's there's basically a total democracy, right? There are churches, and, and again, this is much about as much about uh, convention as it is about actual polity where everything is done by consensus, uh, whether in a, in a congregational church where everything is voted on or in any church where everyone feels the need to have their voice heard and heeded for every decision that is made. In the first case, uh, with one man running the show, you have a high pos- uh, probability of abuse. In the latter, if everything must be done by consensus, you have a low probability possibility of ever getting anything done. And there are lots of benefits to a plurality of leaders. For one, uh, no one person has all the power. That's important because every individual is corrupt. Uh, But also, you do have leaders who can take the church in the direction it needs to go, leaders who can lead. And yet our text in Exodus 18 highlights three reasons for a plurality of leaders. Three things that necessitate a plurality of leaders in the church. Look again at verses 13 through 18. Verse 13: The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? had recently, in the book of Exodus, had recently come out of Egypt. They were at this point at Mount Sinai waiting for God to reveal himself. Uh, Chapter 18, verse 5, a few verses earlier, tells us that they were at the mountain of God. Moses' father-in-law had just come to meet him and brought his wife and children to him. And the next day, Moses sat to judge the people. Moses takes up his seat as judge in Israel, and the people stand around him from morning until evening. All day long, the people stand around waiting for Moses to hear their grievances. Uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, thinks this is a terrible idea. Uh, Moses, sitting by himself, the sole counselor for something like perhaps two to three million people, It should have been obvious, but it took his father-in-law to point it out to him. Here we see, though, three reasons for a plurality of leaders. And the first is so obvious you might miss it. The first is the needs of the community. Why are the people coming to Moses in the first place? The people come, verse 15 says, to inquire of God. Why? Verse 16, because they have disputes. They want Moses to decide between one person and another. They want Moses to explain God's law and apply it to the people. It's really pretty straightforward, right? There is some kind of interpersonal conflict that the people can't solve, uh, so they come to Moses to see what God says about it. What Moses is doing all day is, in a sense, it's conflict resolution. He is helping people in Israel solve conflicts and applying God's word to their particular problems, So one of the reasons leadership is necessary is because we have a hard time getting along. Uh, That's true in and outside the church. Sometimes we think that shouldn't be the case inside the church. Uh, One might even say, oh, this is the Old Testament. Things should be different now. Really? Uh, What about the passage in Acts? Uh, Keep your finger in Exodus 18 and turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 verse 1 says, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Interpersonal conflict in the early stages of the New Testament church, right? Once again, the the need for leadership comes as a result of this interpersonal conflict in the church. And so the first reason that leaders are necessary is, is conflict and other needs in the church, But it's not just needs, it's needs second in a growing community. Uh, It's not obvious in Exodus 18, but in Deuteronomy 1, the kind of parallel passage, uh, if you turn there and look at verse 10, it says, the Lord your God, Moses to, to the people, the Lord your God has multiplied you and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. And if you look back again at Acts 6-1, it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. So both in Israel and in the early church, God was blessing his people. God was fulfilling his promises to Abraham to make the children of Abraham as numerous as the stars of heaven. And as with Israel in Exodus, so with the church in the book of Acts. And so you have this great need in a growing community, but that's not all. Third, you have the limits of leadership. Really, you have the limits and the weaknesses of people in general. Uh, Moses' father-in-law says in verse 18, you and the people will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you and you are not able to do it alone. Uh, Here you have one man trying to deal with the needs of a nation, a growing community, and Jethro says, it's too much. You can't do it. Moses, you're going to wear yourself out, and you're going to wear the people out as well. They can't stand here all day and just wait, hoping they'll get to see you. This is worse than the DMV. Everyone's standing around. The the line's not moving. It's hot. The air conditioning's broke, right? You're in the desert. You can't do this alone. In Deuteronomy 1.12, Moses puts it like this. He says, how can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Moses says, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it, not by myself. In the book of Acts, it's put slightly differently, but it's essentially the same thing. In Acts 6-2, the concern of the apostles is, they say it's not right for us to give up preaching to serve tables. The complaint in the book of Acts is about the distribution of funds or food. It's not really clear which, uh, but the apostles are saying, look, we, we are limited people. We can't both preach and make sure everybody gets what they need. And so in the end, it's the same thing, the same kind of problem. The apostles, even though there were 12 of them, can't deal with all the needs of the fledgling church. They themselves can't meet everyone's needs. And notice in the end, in Exodus 18, how Jethro states his concern in verse 23. He says, if you do this, if you appoint additional leaders, God will direct you and you will be able to endure and all this people will be able to go home Moses, you're going to fry out here in the sun, he's saying, trying to deal with all these problems, and people are going to fry standing around in the hot sun. You need help so you can endure and the people can go home. And here's the, the, the point of verse 23, right? Endurance in ministry depends on this shared leadership. Great needs in a growing community, given the limits of leadership, will lead to either an inability to fulfill one's calling, giving up preaching to serve tables, or just wearing out. One person can't do it all. In other words, leaders are limited in their capacity and in their ability. And so why do we have a plurality of leaders at all souls? One answer to that question is, well, it's biblical. But okay, why did God set it up that way? Uh, Because one individual, I can't lead the church on my own. Uh, I'm one person. I'm limited. I'm finite with my own weaknesses, Uh, I can't multitask, right? I I can't preach and uh, meet with everyone who needs to be met with and care for everyone who needs to be cared for and fix the heat in the building and print the bulletins and greet everyone and you get the point. If I tried to do all of those things, I would burn out. Now, you all at All Souls are a great church and you guys have never asked me to do all of those things and I'm grateful for it. But the principle is biblical, and it needs to be said, right? This this endurance in ministry depends on shared leadership for Moses, for the apostles, and of course, for us today. And so why is a plurality of leaders necessary? Because of the great need in a growing community, it can't be borne by one limited, uh, uh, sinful, weak person. Okay, so we see that that shared leadership uh, is necessary, a plurality of leaders is necessary. How do we get it? And uh, this point will be brief. What is the means that God has ordained for setting up leaders in the church? Uh, Again, what we find is consistent from Old Testament to New. There are three parts. The people choose qualified men whom the existing leaders appoint. So in Exodus 18.21, Jethro simply says, Look for men, able men, from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people. Notice three things. Moses is to look for certain men from the people, men who have certain qualities, and then he is to place those men over the people. Uh, when we look at Deuteronomy 1, the parallel passage, we learn how Moses found those men. I mean, think about it. Moses is one man. If he's having to go throughout two million people, how is he going to choose leaders for all two million people? How does it actually happen? Deuteronomy 1.13, Moses says to the people, choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. Notice again, the same three things, right? The, the people are to choose men who have certain qualities, and then Moses will appoint them. And finally, we see the same thing in Acts uh, chapter 6, verse 3. The apostles say, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And so the pattern is that the church, right, the, the people of God pick out from among them men who have certain qualities, who are qualified for leadership, and then the apostles, or the existing leaders, appoint them to their task. Now, if you've been around uh, All Souls, you know that this is what we've been doing for the past year. Uh, we're a little slow in this process. It seems like it took Moses uh, a day, but it's taken us a year. Um, First, you, the congregation, nominated certain men whom we, the existing leaders, then trained and examined to make sure those nominated, were, uh, they fit the qualifications laid out in Scripture. And then you, the congregation, voted, and today we, the existing leadership, will appoint them to their task uh, through ordination and installation, which is to say we, we will ordain them to their office and install them as officers in this church. Uh, Notice again, this avoids both total control by existing leadership, uh, but also a kind of free-for-all in the church. The role of the congregation is honored. You select men from among the people, but the office of existing leaders is also honored. We appoint those chosen men to the task. And so why is a plurality of leaders necessary? Because of the the great need in a growing community. It can't be borne by one person. Endurance in ministry requires this shared leadership. How do we get there? Uh, What is the means God has ordained for setting up leaders in the church? Uh, There are three parts, the people choose qualified men whom the existing leaders then appoint. Well, finally, we come to leadership roles. Uh, What is this plurality of leaders to do? And this is really a question of of the division of labor, isn't it? Uh, If you have five people working on a project at school or at work, all five people don't do the same thing, that wouldn't make sense. Uh, not uh, everyone is a quarterback, and the quarterback can also be the wide receiver. And not everyone is a first violin, and a group of first violins don't make up an orchestra. Each musician needs to know his or her part for something beautiful to happen. And I think the church can be and, and can do something beautiful, but it takes everyone knowing their role, their part in the, the story, their, their uh, uh, participation, how they participate in God's call to serve. That begins with the leaders. Now, uh, as, as we think about uh, what's being what's happening here and the, the elders in the church and the deacons in the church, uh, there is a, a centuries long debate that I'm not going to really get into, uh, even within Reformed and Presbyterian circles about church offices, how many church offices are there? Some say two, elder and deacon. Some say three, pastor, elder, and deacon. Some say two, but there are two kinds of elder, the teaching elder and the ruling elder. Uh, Now, really, between these latter two and even with the first, if you have a distinction between paid and lay elders, it, it doesn't, in the end, make much practical difference because functionally, you end up with a threefold division of labor. Uh, If you want to get into the debate with me afterwards, I would love to talk with you uh, about the various views and which one I think is the right view. Uh, But we don't have time for that right now. Uh, But practically, each view ends up with a threefold division of labor. What are they? First, uh, look at Exodus 18, verses 19 and 20. Remember, Moses is sitting around all day, counseling the people, dealing with their interpersonal problems, seeking to bring order to the church in the wilderness. And here's what Jethro says, beginning in verse 19. Obey my voice, I will give you advice, and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moses' role was twofold. First, verse 19, he represented the people before God and brought their cases to God. That is, he came before God on their behalf. Uh, He interceded with God on their behalf. That is, he prayed for them. Moses was to pray for God's people. Second, in verse 20, he warned them about the statutes and the laws and made them know the way in which they were to walk and what they must do. That is, he taught them. Moses was to teach the people the way of the Lord. And this dual role of praying and teaching is consistent for prophets throughout the Old Testament. Uh, here's how Samuel described his role in 1 Samuel twelve twenty three. He said, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you And I will instruct you in the good and the right way. And if you read the the prophets, you'll notice this same twofold role uh, in Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. They they both proclaimed God's word and they prayed for God's people. When you get to the New Testament, what is the role of church leaders here? In Acts 6, the apostles are concerned that their preaching God's word will be pushed out by serving tables. And when they suggest the appointment of seven men to that work, they conclude in verse four, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. As you read through Paul's letters in the New Testament, you cannot but be struck by how often he mentions his prayers for the churches. And of course, his great passion is preaching Christ. And so whether Moses or Samuel or the apostles, including Paul, church leadership has this twofold work, pray and preach. That's my job. Uh, God calls me to devote myself to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now that may seem odd to you, right? Why would we as a church pay someone to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word? And the easy answer is because that's the example we're given in scripture again and again. But of course, the other answer is because we believe in the power of prayer and the power of scripture. God works through his word to bring about his purposes in response to the prayers of his people. But then there are others in this passage. Moses is to appoint others, others who are to judge the people. Now in the context, what does that mean, to judge them? It means to help the people work out their their disputes or their interpersonal conflicts. He appoints them as chiefs and heads. He appoints them uh, to this work. Deuteronomy 1 says they are to judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. The elders are to deal with conflicts as they arise within the community. And another way of talking about this is in terms of shepherding or pastoral care. Uh, When something happens, when something troubles the people of God, there are men appointed by Jesus in the church to step up and care for God's flock. Together, Moses and the elders led Israel, just as in the book of Acts, we see the apostles and elders together leading the early church. Look at Acts 15. Paul talks about these two roles together in 1 Peter 5.17. He says this, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And notice he calls them both elders, both leaders in the church, but he mentions two distinct functions, elders who rule or shepherd and elders who labor in preaching and teaching. And that's why in the PCA we talk about ruling elders and teaching elders. It comes from that verse, 1 Timothy 5, 17. All elders participate in rule as shepherds, but my labor, my job, is preaching and teaching. And so that's the office of elder, ruling elder and teaching elder. Or if you're a three-office person, that's the office of pastor and the office of elder. But there's one more office we need to talk about, which is the office of deacon. In Acts 6, another conflict arises in the church. Uh, This time, the conflict is over the distribution of either food or funds to poor widows in the church, and the apostles, not wanting to neglect their responsibility to pray and preach, have the young church appoint seven men to oversee this work. Now, historically, the the Reformed church has seen this as the institution of the office of deacon. Uh, These seven men oversee the care of the poor and the widows in the church. Uh, More broadly, they oversee whatever needs to be overseen so that elders can do their work undistracted. Deacons take care of the physical needs of God's people so that the elders are free to take care of the spiritual needs of God's people through shepherding and teaching. And this is not about who's better or who's worse. This is about the, the practical division of labor as well as gifts and calling. This is about finite people each doing the work to which God has called them. Uh, Put most simply, teaching elders' role, the teaching elders' role is praying and preaching. The ruling elders' role is ruling or shepherding. And the deacon's role is serving by caring for the physical needs of the people of God. Uh, There's a lot more details than that, I realize, but that's the broad outline. And so Jesus cares for his church, shepherds his church, through under shepherds, pastors, elders, and deacons. Now, you might wonder... Uh, With all of this talk about leadership roles in the church, what is your role? How do you fit into this picture? And let me mention briefly uh, four things, briefly four things, even five. First, with respect uh, to the men that we're about to ordain, Scripture would call you as the church to submit to them. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you." Uh, That doesn't mean, right? Submission doesn't mean you do everything that church leaders say without thought. That's not what that means. Uh, What does it mean that you submit to the civil government? I'm assuming that you do submit to the civil government, but what does that mean that you submit to the civil government? Well, you are called to submit to the ecclesiastical government in relatively the same way, but with respect to spiritual things. Uh, Second, all of God's people are not just leaders. All of God's people have been called to serve. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And so God has gifted everybody in the church to help build up the church through word and deed. And so figure out how God has gifted you, how he is calling you to serve and serve one another. Third, your role as all of our role, is to go out and serve Jesus in our particular callings. Uh, The church does what the church does as a community so that you can go out and do what God has called you to do in the world. Go go live faithfully as a student or a garbage man or a teacher or an engineer or whatever God has called you to do and do it unto the Lord. And as you benefit from the ministry and service of the church, you go out and serve. Fourth, uh, show and tell Jesus as you go. Right? In what you do, be a witness to Christ in word and deed, in the way that you live, in the words that you say. As you are served by the church, you will grow spiritually, grow to maturity, and be formed and shaped in the image of Jesus so that you can then go and show and tell Jesus to your neighbors to the glory of God. And then fifth, last thing. Jesus shepherds his church. His bride, whom he bought with his blood, through under shepherds quite frankly, that's a weighty task. And so pray for your leaders, right? Pray for the men who are about to be ordained to the offices of elder and deacon. Pray for your existing elders, right? Pray for the leaders of your church. Uh, Paul frequently not only prayed for his churches, but he also asked for prayer from his churches. Why? Because if leaders are to be a blessing to the church by leading well and remaining faithful, God must work by his spirit in and through them. And so pray that Jesus would shepherd his church through his under-shepherds to his glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for not abandoning your church. You didn't save us and then just leave us to ourselves. But Lord Jesus, you first poured out your Holy Spirit, that you would be with us, that you would work in us and through us. But you've also appointed leadership in the church to shepherd and care for the church. We recognize the the weight of that task and we pray especially for the men who are about to be ordained as elders and deacons and we pray that you would pour out your spirit on them and equip them and encourage them and help them and lead them and lead us to fulfill the task that you have put before us For the good of your church and the glory of your name, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.